in your word. And the holidays have rushed upon us. I cannot believe Thanksgiving is this close. And so our hearts are distracted right now. Some of us are tired and some of us are busy and and some of us have many thoughts going on right now. Lord, we ask that you would give us focus over the next few minutes and teach us from your word that we would trust you fully. Lord, we ask your blessing on us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would, turn in the Bible to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. If you didn't bring a Bible, you can use the Pew Bible. It's page 936. That is the black Bible there in the Pew. 936, Mark chapter 14. I appreciate Austin doing that. Austin's doing a really good job with that, that work and leading our church in that direction. Thank you for that. And I also appreciate the pictures. You know, the pictures seem to do so much for us when people are talking about that. You know, I had no idea that there were mountains like that in Mexico. I know that means that I'm uh, uneducated and ignorant of, of, of that, but that's just the truth. I had no idea, right? I've never seen mountains like that in the USA, and we have mountains like that in the USA. I've just never seen them. I have seen mountains like that in Ecuador and in Africa, but I've not seen them here. Um, and, and a lot of times... Until you are exposed to something, you really have no idea, right? And a lot of times, people are always talking and giving their opinion on things that they really don't know what they're talking about. They've never been exposed to it, right? And we need to be aware of that, that until we're exposed to something, perhaps we should not comment, or perhaps we should not voice our opinion or our view, I've always heard that there are parts of the, of the world that are really, really poor, and, and, and we hear that all the time, and we know poverty, and we see poverty in America, and then there's poverty all over the world. And I'll never forget the very first time that I went to Africa. I was in college, and I was coaching basketball there. I spent two months in Durban, South Africa, coaching basketball. I loved it. One of the highlights of my life. Had such a great time. But uh, one of the teams that I coached, our best player, his name was Armstrong. That's been about 20 years ago, and I still remember Armstrong, and I still pray for him. Armstrong accepted Christ that summer while I was there, and I'm so thrilled for that. It's been 20 years. I've never seen him again. I probably will never, ever see him again until we get to heaven, but I do continue to pray for him. One of the things that made Armstrong so memorable to me, though, he was our best player on our team. I'm telling you a true story. He played the whole tournament in basketball shoes that did not have a soul. I've never in my life seen that here in America. The poorest person that you know that plays basketball, the poorest has basketball shoes. And if they don't, I can name about 100 people that would gladly buy them some. I can name about a million people that could give them one of their other pair, right? I could name people that could take him to the mall right now and buy him a pair of new Jordans that cost $220 for him to wear this weekend, right? And Armstrong played with shoes on that did not have a soul. Bare feet on the bottom. Blew my mind. So my heart was drawn to him. 
What that means, though, is that he did not have shoes, that he did not have anybody that uh, had shoes. He didn't have any money to buy shoes. He didn't have any parents or grandparents or anything that could buy shoes. He didn't know anybody that could let him borrow a pair of shoes. He didn't have a teammate where he could wear his last year's shoes. He didn't have any of that. They were that poor. I'd never been exposed to that. And once I have... Now I understand a little bit more still through my privileged American mindset. I understand it a little bit better. I know what need really is. You know how every once in a while you'll be at home with a closet full of stuff and say, I don't have anything to wear. Now you have something to wear. Just not anything that you want to wear. There's a difference between a need and a want. In America, we've lost that. But when you travel or you get exposed to things, you'll be reminded of those things. Well, uh, in the same vein, our passage today is going to expose us to what happened to Jesus. And a lot of times over the years here, preaching to you all week after week now for a long time, I've reminded you all that there are some passages that are just so good and clear that I better not mess it up, right? A lot of times people take something that's so simple in the word of God and they try to fluff it up with all these illustrations and pictures and all that. And next thing you know, you're wrapped up in the preacher and you've forgotten what the Bible says. That's not what preaching's to be about. You're supposed to come here, listen to me as I explain the Bible, and you're supposed to walk out of here understanding God and his word better. That's the goal of preaching. Today's passage is going to expose us to what happened to Jesus, and you're going to see how cruel and wrong they were to him, and you're going to see how he responded. And I know you've heard the stories, but I think for some of you, you've never read this. And so I'm hoping I just don't mess it up. This passage will preach itself. Read with me. It's Mark chapter 14, verse 53. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, quote, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. 
What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. In so many ways, I think we could probably stop right there. That passage is loaded. And to be honest, it's a transitional passage. This passage is just trying to get us to the cross. So many times you know the story and this part of the story is not even told. Because we just hear Jesus lived and preached and did well and then he died for us. And all of that's good and true, but, but this, this part is often just one that we're not really familiar with. Well, there are two real identities here. We have the identity of Jesus, and then we have the identity of those who blaspheme. And sometimes I give you all three points, and sometimes I have no points, and we just walk through the passage Today, I really want to do it differently than than either of those. I I want to just get you thinking about identity. What is your identity? What is their identity? What is Jesus' identity? What were these other people's identity? What what, what do they identify with? Who were they really? And and, and, and so who they were, how did that affect what they were like? The identity of Jesus contrasted with their identity, but then also this identity of, of blasphemy. Now, you just heard that in this passage, Jesus is the one accused of blasphemy. So let's just walk through the passage thinking about those two ideas. It says, when they led Jesus to the high priests. What do you mean, led him? Well, if you were here last week, you remember that they just came and got him and arrested him. That was last week, right? Jesus in the garden praying. Judas goes to, to do his wicked deal. The devil had entered him, and they're going to, he's going to betray him. He finds Jesus. He acts like everything's cool. What's up, Jesus? He kisses him. He greets him with rabbi, like everything's fine. And when they do that, the army of people get him and arrest him, and they take Jesus away. That's where we ended last week. So Jesus had just been betrayed by Judas. Jesus had just been arrested by the bad guys. And now the army of people are taking Jesus away. And this is where our passage picks up. And they led Jesus to the high priest. So they're going to now condemn him to death. And you and I are about to see him before the council. We're going to see him, the interaction with, okay, how are they going to do this? How are they going to rightfully kill him? That's what they're thinking through. That's what's happening. It says all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together, this big, this big council, the Sanhedrin, the leader of the Jews. And then it introduces Peter. And remember, I had just talked to you about Peter's big, big, strong confidence that he'll never betray Jesus. Even if everybody else does, he won't. Even if he has to die for Jesus, he will. He will never fall away. Peter said that just a few weeks ago in this same chapter. Well, now Peter's back on the scene. And it says that Peter was following him at a distance. That that, that lets us in to the the wishy-washy faith that Peter had. And Peter was still very curious about following Christ, but he was not necessarily willing and bold enough to be devoted to him, identified with him. He's following at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. So he's there. 
And he was sitting with the guards and he was warming himself at the fire. And then we don't have anything else about Peter in this passage. But if you'll look over at verse 66, and this is the passage that we're going to preach next Sunday. Here is where it picks back up with Peter. And it picks right up with Jesus there in the courtyard, warming himself by the fire. And so keep that in mind. But today I won't say anything else about Peter. Verse 55. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death. But they found This is an ugly verse, isn't it? They, they just wanted to kill him. You ever had somebody you didn't like? And so everything they did, you kind of spun it to more reason to not like them. <laughs> right? You ever listen to UK fans talk about UofL? You ever listen to UofL fans talk about UK? I mean, I, there's no proof that Patino did it. So, I mean, I'm not sure. Give the guy a chance. Don't reserve anything. I can't wait for Cal to get busted, right? And each side talks like that with all of these accusations. We, you know why they do? Because they so don't like the other, they want that to be true, right? It's not about what they really are. Nobody here knows what they really are. Nobody right here knows what either of those programs or thing really are. We're not close enough. We're not involved. We've never seen anything like that. We just get to talking like that because we've listened to other people talk like that. And we have a heart that we want that to happen. In some big way, you want your program to, to be successful and the other program to not. And we kind of get like that. Well, who cares about sports? We're talking about Jesus here and they want him dead. The Jewish religion had been going pretty good without a savior. I hope that stings you, that thought. It had been going pretty good without a savior. There's no such thing as that. That's not an identity to have. And if your life seems to be going pretty good without a savior, it is going to ruffle your feathers when somebody comes and brings the idea of a savior into it. But listen to me, that needs to happen. These guys wanted to kill Jesus, so what did they do? All right, what can we do to kill him? We'll see, what can we find about him that can kill him? We need a testimony that would allow us to put him to death. Do you see that verse? They were seeking a testimony against Jesus to put him to death. It wasn't that they thought he was wrong. They wanted him gone. How we get rid of him? We'll kill him. Okay, well, what grounds can we have to kill him? Because we can't just murder him. So let's find a way to kill him. But as you know, we're talking about God, the sinless one. We're talking about the holy God. We're talking about him who knew no sin. We're talking about the one who is righteous, the one who is always obedient. We're talking about God's son, Jesus. If they're looking for a testimony against him, keep on looking, right? You're not going to find one on him. No dirt, no dirt on Jesus. They found none. Verse 56 says that many were bearing false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Let's take that a little bit further. Some people are so low down that they'll want their desire to be true so badly that they'll lie to try to get something false to be true. People do that, right? People want their desire to be so true that they will lie to try to make something false true. Happens all the time. 
Happens all the time. Men have affairs. It's their fault. They had the affair. And they so want their false move to be okay that they'll make up every other excuse that they possibly can. It's because our motive is wrong. It says here that guys were lying about Jesus. But because they were trying so hard, their stories didn't match up. But it's, it's, it's ugly, filthy falsehood and ungodliness. Verse 57 says that some stood up and bore false witness against him saying this. So there were lots of testimonies, but they didn't line up. And here's one that they said. Verse 58, we heard him say this. So now they're quoting Jesus. I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. Did he say that? You know, it's really bad to quote somebody if you don't get it right, right? And everybody comes right back and says, no, I did not say that. I did not say that. Like what happens in our house all the time is Lily says, mommy, can I have uh, some cookies? And mom says, no, you can't have some cookies. And she comes over to... To daddy and says, daddy, can I have some cookies? And I say, well, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not sure. What did mama say? And she goes back and says something like, daddy said I could. And I said, and so she's eating it. And Val says, well, she said, you said you could. I said, no, I did not say that. And you start quoting people the wrong way. It's bad. Listen, if you start quoting God wrongly, Folks, I know that the world thinks you don't need to be afraid of God or anything like that. Listen, if you're going to act like you know God or you're right with God or you love God and worship God or you follow God and you're not truthful about it, beware. If you are lying in your home and lying in your marriage and lying in your relationships and lying in your work and then trying to justify it to God, beware. That is not right. Now, what's interesting about this is they are taught, they are quoting some stuff that's familiar to us. Right? Jesus did talk about the temple being destroyed and Jesus did talk about it being raised up in three days. But when they thought he was talking about the actual temple building where they went to work, Jesus was talking about his body, which is a temple. But he never said that he will destroy it. In John chapter two, verse 19, here's what Jesus says. Destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. What Jesus was talking about then is that his body, the temple, will be destroyed by them. They will kill him. But in three days, he will rise. But as stories go, they get embellished and twisted from mouth to mouth. And next thing you know, with this agenda of wanting to do away with him and kill him, they've now spun it to where they say he's the one that's going to destroy the temple. And then he's the one who says he's going to build it back. In other words, they've taken something that he said and they've twisted it to use it against him. It's just good old bad gossip, slander, drama. And they're taking something good, turning it into something bad, using it against him and hoping that it would be enough to be able to put him to death and it's not right i want to remind you all just real practically you shouldn't be this way either 
If you're going to quote somebody, say exactly what they said. Don't embellish a story. Don't hurt somebody's in, in, in character or integrity. Be somebody whose mouth is a yes is a yes and a no is a no. Upright integrity. Mean what you say. Say what you mean. And do not contribute ever to tearing somebody down. If somebody else says something bad about somebody else to you and you don't know it, don't repeat it. If it is true, I would even say don't repeat it. Let's be a real church in a community because let's be honest, in a small community, Fairdale's a small community, and in a small city, Louisville's a small city. To be honest, about everybody in Louisville knows everybody, but certainly in South Louisville, everybody knows everybody. And certainly in this 4118, everybody knows everybody. And so if you really want to be a church that is a city on a hill, a light that shines brightly to the world, that there's something different about us, that God's at work in us, if you really want to be that, then be crystal clear, honest, and upright with your mouth because the Bible says that God has changed your heart and every word that comes out of your mouth comes off the heart that God has changed. So if you will gossip in Fairdale the way everybody else gossips in Fairdale and you will slander in Fairdale the way everybody else slanders in Fairdale and you will boast about how great you are like everybody else boasts and you will complain about everybody about everything else the way everybody else complains, then guess what? You don't look, we don't look one bit different than the people who surely do not know God. And you know why I'm hitting this point hard? Not because of the way these guys were working on Jesus, but you know who did this first? Satan in the Garden of Eden. You remember that? Real simple in Genesis chapter 2, God said, don't eat from from the tree in the garden. That's what God said. Don't eat from this one tree. That's what God said. And Satan comes along and says, he didn't really say that. He didn't really mean that. He twists it. Remember then Eve comes up and says, well, he said, don't touch it. Remember all of that? God had said something, but then they were living and acting off of something that God didn't even say, that they were acting like God said. And then you know what happened? Satan wanted them to die. So now going back to the original motive, he's going to say whatever it takes to say in order to get them to obey him, disobey God and die. And that's what's happening here. So they make up this thing. Verse 58, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another not made with hands. Verse 59, yet even about there, even about this, their testimony did not agree. Of course it didn't because he said some things like that. And so there, 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 there's probably somebody there going, well, he didn't, he didn't actually say that he would destroy it. I mean, I was there. I heard him. He didn't say that. He did say something about raising it up. And next thing you know, there's all this confusion and the guys are going, well, wait a second. This isn't a clear testimony. Verse 60. Okay. They said, well, let's see what he says. The high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? And guys, we could learn so much here. I can only imagine seeing this in like a high school where everybody's throwing up all these false claims on somebody, right? They'd be going crazy. People would be throwing a fit, defending themselves, fighting. You know how things escalate very quickly, right? I've been at Black Friday shopping, y'all, which comes up this Friday. I've been down here at Walmart and Fairdale a couple times and seen a couple fights. Somebody said something. No, I had that Barbie doll first, right? And things can escalate very quickly. 
They're saying all of this bad stuff about Jesus. Stuff that is so bad, they call it blasphemy. Stuff that is so bad, they're hoping that it's bad enough to be able to kill him. So we're not just saying, uh, you're a nerd. You're a goody-goody. They're not saying that. They're saying horrible things about him. They just said that he said he would destroy the temple. It's bad. They said, well, what do you say? They turned to Jesus and look what it says. Verse 61, he remained silent, made no answer. Why? Why did he remain silent? Y'all, Jesus is perfectly fine with his identity, who he is, comfortable in his own skin. Listen to me, sure of who he is. Sure of what he's done. Sure of every decision he's ever made. Jesus is God. Holy. Blameless. Sinless. He does not have to defend himself. No need to. This is what the Bible is getting at for us, a little bit of application here, when it teaches us to walk uprightly, to walk in our integrity, to have character. This is what the Bible is getting at when it says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. That there is something about living right in which you don't have to always be trying to prove everybody, prove to everybody that you're not that bad. Well, for us, that's always going to be a struggle because we are sinners. But for Jesus, who never sinned, he didn't have to say a word. There's a no-named pastor missionary that I kind of look up to that y'all never heard of. I went to college with his sons. They're in the ministry now too. He uses this phrase all the time and I like it. Nothing to prove. No one to, no one to impress. Only Jesus to please. Nothing to prove. No one to impress. Only Jesus to please. Nothing to prove. No one to impress. Only Jesus to please. Jesus lived that way. Only person he lived to please was his father in heaven. He was not worried about some sinful, crooked men who had an agenda to lie and get him dead. He was not worried about them slandering him. He is who he is. Now, another reason why he stays silent... It's because he was very intently focused that God had sent him to die. So he wasn't, he wasn't wanting to defend himself and get him out of that situation. Which the reason why we often defend ourselves is because we are so worried about what this is going to lead to. And yet even that is an example of doubting the, the sovereign hand of God, the providence of God in our lives. 
You know, in those stories like where, where um, Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers and, and ends up in Egypt, we don't really have any passages, and maybe he did, but we don't have the passages of Joseph trying to defend himself and get himself out of it. There is a trust here that God's got me. There is absolutely a trust here with Jesus. God's got me right where he wants me. I need to die. For the sins of the world. For the church in Fairdale. I need to die for their sins. There is no salvation. There is no forgiveness. There is no getting right with God. Unless Jesus dies for us. And Jesus knows that. So whatever crookedness and wickedness these guys are going to do. To get him dead. He is going along with it. But we do have. This strong identity of Jesus in the midst of it. Do you remember in John chapter 10, you have two I am statements there. I am the door and I am the good shepherd. Do you remember that in John chapter 10? I am the good shepherd. I lead my sheep. I know my sheep. My sheep know my voice. Well, he says four times in John chapter 10 that the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And there's one passage where he says in John chapter 10, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. I have the authority to lay my life down and I have the authority to raise my life up. In case anybody is thinking right here that Jesus is a victim out of place and we need somebody to whip their sword out and go to war for him and rescue him, don't dare think that. And if somebody does want to step up and try to defend him and pull their sword out and try to start cutting off heads like they did in last week's passage, if you'll read back like Peter did, Jesus is going to turn around quick and say, no, 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 Peter, put your sword away. This is not how we do this. Do you want me to not drink the wrath? I am going to die for the sins of the world, don't you get in the way. There was this unbelievably strong, impressive, comfortable confidence about Jesus that he is the king of all kings. There is nobody in the world that he's scared of. There is nobody in the world that can intimidate him. There's not an army. There's not a weapon that can get Jesus shaking. He was doing this for us. They're crooked and they're bad. They turn to Jesus and say, what are you going to say? In verse 61, he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, point blank, we're tired of this. They're tired of this. This is going on too long. I'm not getting anywhere. It's a hassle. Let me just ask you, plain and simple, are you the Christ, the Messiah? Are you the Savior? That's what that word means. Are you the Savior, the Son of the Blessed One? He doesn't say Son of God here, but Son of the Blessed One is another high, good, biblical term. He says, are you the Christ? Are you the Son of the Blessed One? And remember, Jesus does not say much in all of this, but he does answer this because it is crystal clear. Because Jesus knows if he answers this rightly, they will reject it and it will be blasphemy in their Jewish minds. Are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Verse 62, Jesus said, I am. Y'all, they cannot believe that he would agree to that. They cannot believe that he would affirm that. They totally thought He was not the Messiah. 
And if he claims to be the Messiah, they will kill him. That will be a right reason to kill him. Jesus knows that saying a yes to this affirmatively means take me to the cross. Jesus knows this. He doesn't shy away. Jesus said, I am. And then Jesus quotes two more Old Testament biblical ideas that are so strong that it just adds insult to injury to these guys who do not think he's God. He says, I am. And one day you're going to see me coming on the clouds. And one day you're going to see me seated at the right hand of God Almighty in power. Look at verse 62. I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. In Psalm 110, it says that, that, that God is seated on his throne and there is one seated at his right hand and the enemies of the world are his footstool. The Bible often gives us this picture of God being the reigning king over the whole world, seated on the throne. And the Lord Jesus, as we know, is seated at his right hand. The Bible tells us, that upon dying on the cross and being buried and rising again and ascending back into heaven where Jesus is now, the Bible tells us that he sat down at the right hand of God. And Jesus says, after all this, you will see me at the right hand. That's a strong statement. And then he quotes from Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 and he says, And coming with the clouds of heaven. The Bible has always taught us that there would be this, this, this savior of the world who would be coming. This son of God, this son of man, this ancient of days that would be coming with the clouds. Coming back from heaven that we would recognize him in all glory and power. And Jesus here, while they are trying to find a testimony. Okay, what did he say bad that we can kill him? What did he do bad that we can kill him? Was he ever a... a a bad guy? Did he ever lie? Did he ever steal? Did he ever adulterate? Was he, was he any of those things? They said, man, enough's enough. Y'all's testimonies don't line up. You said this, you said this, you said this. Y'all aren't making any sense. Let me ask him, are you the Christ? Are you the son of God? Are you the blessed one? Jesus says, I am. And you're going to see me seated on the throne beside God. And you're going to see the sky open up. You're going to see me coming on the clouds. You are going to know that this man right here that you hate, that you're against, that you do not accept, that is totally rocking your religious, self-righteous world is the one you will one day bow your knee to. And listen to me, church. Regardless of what you think about Jesus, some of y'all may be sold on him, all in. Some of y'all may be very skeptical. Some of y'all may be here today saying, I am not going to believe no matter what. He would have the same answer to us in great humility like he's showing that one day we will all see him. We will be absolutely convinced at that moment. And we will bow down to him. Now for those who have believed. They will gladly bow down to him. As he sends them to heaven by the forgiveness of sins. But for those who have not believed. They will bow their knees to him. Confessing him as worthy and awesome. But they will go to hell because they have not believed him. When Jesus makes this strong statement, verse 63, the high priest tore his garments. Y'all, you tear your garments as a sign of mourning, a demonstration of blasphemy. 
We have just heard somebody say something about God that is false, that is inaccurate, that is not true. He tore his garments, he tore his clothes to say, this is the worst thing somebody could possibly say. Because it wasn't just bad about other people, it was bad about God. And then he said, what further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And I said there are two themes here, identity and blasphemy. Jesus' identity in this passage is beautiful. He knows who he is. When they actually ask him point blank, he tells them clearly, consistent to what the whole Bible teaches about him. Uh, that this, is the, this would be the high point in the Gospel of Mark of Christological teaching and of who Jesus exactly is with great clarity. This would be the high point in the Gospel of Mark. If anybody was wondering if he was God, if anybody was wondering if he's a Savior, if anybody was wondering if he's who the Old Testament talks about, if anybody was wondering if he is the Son of God in the flesh, if anybody's wondering about Jesus according to the gospel of mark this is the strongest statement there is now the whole gospel is teaching about him but this is really strong and jesus knows exactly who he is jesus never had an identity crisis he fully understood who he was and what his role was but then there's this idea of blasphemy in our passage and everybody else thinks jesus is blasphemy Let me go back to how I began. If you've never been exposed to what is true, you're building your basis for what is true off of something that you're not sure if it's true. And so you'll call something wrong or bad or even blasphemous when you're wrong. They were so certain that Jesus was not the Christ. That when he said he was the Christ, they thought him deserving of death. But they were wrong. They are the ones blaspheming. If you tell God he deserves to die for the things that he says, you're wrong, not God. If your mind is struggling over where God is true and some of the things that God says, wrestle through that. Seek it out. Read some more. Pray to God. But folks, do not start saying, well, I know I'm right, so God must be wrong. Don't do that. How dare you? You ever argue with somebody that was wrong and they thought they were right? Oh, man, that's like the, that's all of our pet peeve. That's what's happening here. They're telling Jesus he's blaspheming. When in reality, they don't know the truth. And you want to know how much truth matters? You know how much your identity matters? I know y'all don't like to think about this, but in, in, in big doctrinal theology talks, here's what we say. What you believe determines who you are. What you believe determines how you live. I know y'all don't think that often, and I know the world definitely doesn't think that, but I'm telling y'all it's true. You want to see the proof? 
Look what it says in the end of our passage. Verse 65, last verse. And some began to spit on him. And to cover his face. And to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. This is God, they're spitting in his face. This is God, they're punching him. This is God, they're mocking him. This is God that they're doing all of that too on the way to killing him. And they think it's okay. Why? Because they think he's blaspheming. They think he's an enemy. They think he's an idiot. They think he's a problem. They think he's evil. They think he's an opponent to their religion. And so they are justifying all of this because they think they're right when they are actually wrong. That is a bad identity. As fallen as we are, folks, don't ever get that confident in and of yourself. Let your confidence be in the truth of the word of God. Let Jesus and his word be the foundation for your life. Don't be real certain of who you are until you know who you are in Christ. We've got everybody in the world trying to uh, defend themselves. They're not even sure what they're arguing for. People change. Give somebody five years, they'll be arguing for something different. It happens all the time. I got a buddy right now that is so crazy over the top on some of these political agendas. And he says all of this crazy stuff all the time. And every once in a while, I send him a text. I said, I just remember just a few years ago, you were saying this exact opposite. I remember just a few years ago, you were saying this exact opposite. I remember when you were riding your motorcycle doing that exact opposite. Hey, I remember when you had these bumper stickers all over your car, exact opposite. Why is he so sure and positive and outspoken and rash about all of these opinions? I don't even know who he is or what he's doing or what his identity is or what his strength is. He's not sure. You know who is sure in themselves? Jesus. And we need him. You need him. Now, why do we have this passage? Why is all of this happening? Would it have been awesome... And this type of conversation you get to have with your children. Would it have been awesome if he fought back? Would it have been cool if he turned to Jesus and said, are you the Christ? Would it have been awesome if Jesus would have said, I sure am. yippee ki Hey, it would have made an awesome movie. It would have been fun to rally your kids around for a Halloween costume. This is one bad dude. But you know what? All of that is just a worldly, temporal thing that we're impressed with, is it not? baddest men in the world that nobody could beat in a fight end up weak and frail. But much more than that, guys, that would have done nothing for us. Oh, it may have proven Jesus. It may have shown all of us, man, you don't, you don't mess with him. Ever seen that part in a movie where somebody bad mouths the bad guy and you know they're about to get the revenge? Aren't you thankful Jesus is a little bit bigger and better than the best superhero? 
you and I think the best scene would have been him wearing all them out. But God's thoughts are better than our thoughts. And God's ways are better than our ways. And God's love is much more clear than even our love. Greater love has nobody than this. That he lays down his life for his enemies. If Jesus wanted to prove to you. How awesome Jesus was. He could have just whooped all them. And said don't try me. But Jesus was proving to us. How much he loved us. And so he could have stood up for Jesus. But instead he died for you. If you want the identity of Jesus, you want to know yourself and have an identity of who you are, then you bow your knee to him, you bow your heart to him, and you trust in him as the savior of the world, like he just told them that he was. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so very much for these passages. Thank you, God, that Jesus is bigger and better and he is exactly what we need even more than we realize. And thank you today, God, that we are exposed to that yet again in the scriptures. Lord, we pray that you would move that in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.